be seated. Well, good morning and welcome. Welcome to St. Thomas Anglican Church. My name is uh, Tex Bagley. I'm one of the deacons here at St. Thomas. And uh, this is the fourth Sunday of Lent. Uh, and as a good Christian, I know that every Sunday is a special Sunday, right? We get to come to church, we worship together, but this Sunday is actually one of those special Sundays that get a name. And with us, as Anglicans, we like to name certain things in certain uh, weeks. And this Sunday, actually traditionally, the church has referred to this Sunday as Latire Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Lent. And Latire is a term that actually means rejoice. And it's taken from uh, Isaiah in chapter 66, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her and joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. A lot of churches actually start their service with that proclamation from Isaiah 66 this morning. But What's going on here? This is Lent, right? As I said, this is the fourth Sunday in Lent. Why are we rejoicing during Lent? Isn't Lent about repentance and sorrow and contemplating our own depravity? What is this rejoicing Sunday doing kind of right in the middle of this season? Uh, I, many people know that know me my son plays uh, baseball. We're a baseball family. And uh, I couldn't help but think when I was preparing for this Sunday of the early 90s movie, The League of Their Own, with Tom Hanks. I'm sure some of you have seen it. He's coaching the all-women's team, and uh, one of his players starts to cry during a baseball game. And he gets very upset. He says, there's no crying in baseball, right? Some of you have seen that might be showing my age. It is a kind of early 90s movie. But, but that's what I think of when I think of this odd Sunday in the middle of Lent. There's no rejoicing in Lent. What are we doing? Right? Uh, a lot of people actually refer to this Sunday as Rose Sunday. And oftentimes you'll see uh, people wearing a rose stole uh, on this Sunday. Uh, Deacon Joe is the only one of us that has one, so I didn't uh, wear one this morning. Um, but it is, it is this, it's this odd Sunday kind of right in the middle of Lent. And although at times we can think there is no rejoicing in Lent, there in fact is, especially on this Sunday. You see, this Sunday, like I said, is the fourth Sunday. We, we've, been, we've been through Lent a little bit now, and we're actually halfway through. This is the halfway mark. And we are beginning to see especially on today, a beautiful day, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're halfway there. Today makes a, marks a shift in our season of Lent where we, we take just kind of a short break and we start to look ahead at the morning that is to come, that Easter morning. And just like this Sunday rep represents kind of a halfway point or a bridge from really lamenting over our sins to rejoicing in a risen Savior. Our psalm this morning, Psalm 23, actually does something very similar. And uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. When Father Daniel 
actually told our staff that we were going to be preaching through the Psalms uh, during Lent. I got excited. Oh, man, I'm going to get to preach uh, one of the Psalms. I haven't uh, had a chance to do that. And then I looked ahead at what Sunday I was going to be preaching. I said, Psalm 23. And I thought, that's a little intimidating, right? I mean, who here hasn't heard Psalm 23 a hundred plus times in their life, right? It's a very well-known psalm with everyone has their own interpretation of it. And it's, a, like I said, probably one of the most, if not the most, memorized scripture in all of the Bible. I would argue maybe John 3.16 is the only one that comes close. But as with things that are familiar to us, I had not really given Psalm 23 much time and, and, and depth. I'd, obviously, it, it meant a lot for me growing up in a Christian home. I'd heard it, like I said, hundreds of times. And I, don't, I won't say it was necessarily wrote to me, but there was a sense that it was really just to kind of quote and be devotional. We'd hear it at different times throughout the year, and obviously at funerals and things like that. Um, but I hadn't looked very deeply at the psalm. And once I did, once I started studying it and preparing for this week, I realized something that really stuck out to me. It's this fact that the Psalms are actually set up in a particular way. They're actually gathered together. They're not randomly just kind of thrown in the Bible in a, in a you know, random order. They're actually ordered. They are, it's actually five books of Psalms. If you look through the chapters of Psalms, some of them will start with the first book, later on the second book. And it has an order. And Psalm 23 is actually this interesting place. It's in an interesting place that fits perfectly between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. You see, most Psalms we actually can refer to or categorize them as Psalms of uh, lament or Psalms of praise. Well, Psalm 22, if you are not familiar with the numbering, is is one of the probably most well-known Psalms of lament in the Bible. This is the one where Jesus actually quoted from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. He continues, I am a worm, not a man. And then if you jump ahead to Psalm 24, It's titled the Psalm King of Glory, right? It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He continues, rejoice, we will receive blessings from the Lord and the righteous from the God of his salvation. It's a very, it's a psalm all about the King of Glory, Jesus being the King of Glory, our Lord. And you have this Psalm 23 kind of just fits right in the middle of those. And it really acts as a bridge. It takes us, it begins, takes us from the valley of the shadow of death to dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. It is a beautiful psalm. It's a beautiful prayer. And we'll start with the first three verses here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, the first three verses of this psalm actually are talking about the Lord, referring to him as our shepherd, right? Um, 
And the Old Testament uh, reading this morning is actually pretty interesting that it fits right in with this because who is the author of this? This is a Psalm of David, right? Psalm 23, Psalm of David. And David would actually know a thing or two about what it means to be a shepherd, right? Uh, This morning, actually, our Old Testament reading is the first time that we're introduced to David in Scripture. Uh, 1 Samuel passage 16 uh, we see Samuel, who is, who is the prophet of the time, he comes strolling into Bethlehem. And I, and I love, I really do love this story. And, and all of First and Second Samuel I have some of the most complex characters in the entire Bible. And it's, it's really an amazing uh, book, First and Second. And if you haven't had a chance to read it, I urge you to read through it. It's amazing. But he comes into town, he comes into Bethlehem, and he's, and he's, he's got this heifer, right? He's got this cow right? he's just walking into town with. And that's really his ploy, He's, he's walking in to sacrifice this cow, but really what he's there to do, he's looking for Jesse. And he's looking for Jesse because the Lord has told him one of his sons is going to be king over Israel. He is supposed to anoint him. And when he finds Jesse, he meets this tall and handsome young man, Eliab, right? You see this guy kind of, you can almost see it. He just walks through the curtain and it's like, oh, wow, this guy. And, so, and he, Samuel looks at him, and as soon as he sees him, he says, that's it. That's the guy. And he must have been tall and handsome because Samuel says, this has got to be the Lord's anointed, right? But what does God say? He says, no. Not only no, I have rejected him. And the story continues, and we quickly realize that the Lord is he's not looking for someone that man would look for. No, he's actually looking for someone with a heart after him, right? And and it continues, and we see this, actually this parade uh, of Jesse's sons actually being uh, paraded in front of the prophet. And I can just imagine the prophet standing there one after another, after another, Another, no, no, this is not him. This is not him, Jesse. What, what is going on? All the way to the seventh son. And I think of when I hear the number seven in the Bible, the seven usually means that's the right number, right? That's the completion. You know, seven is a, is a big one in the Bible. So I think, oh, well, he's got to the seventh son. No, not even him. So he looks up at Jesse. Jesse, is there, is there anyone else? Is this all your sons. This can't be all of your sons. The Lord told me to come here. And Jesse's response, well, there is, but he's the youngest, and we kind of keep him out there with the sheep. He's, uh, he's, just, he's a shepherd. Uh, that's what he does. I mean, we can bring him in, I guess, if you would like us to. But the shepherd actually, back in David's day, was the lowliest job of the family. It was typically the youngest son would be in charge over the livestock. It, was, uh, it wasn't a very privileged position, to say the least. It was rough. It was exhausting and often filthy work. But the Lord, he didn't see a lowly shepherd in David. He saw a man after his own heart. And we know from the rest of the story that David is anointed king And he eventually does ascend to the throne and rule over Israel for many years. But coming back to Psalm 23, we know that, we know, like I said, that David writes this psalm, but we don't necessarily know when or exactly why. A lot of the psalms actually start out with 
with things that say uh, a psalm when David was hiding in the wilderness or at the dedication of a temple. But, but this psalm actually just, it's just a psalm of David. Could have been when he was a young man watching over his flock. It could have been when he was an older king looking back at his time as a ruler over Israel. But one thing we do know is that David is used to being in the position of ruling over his people or his sheep. But what does he do in Psalm 23? I think this is an insight into that heart that the Lord knows David has. It's, his heart is on display because when he speaks about the Lord in Psalm 23, he humbles himself and puts, in pl- he puts himself in the place of the sheep. And this is really not the best place to be, to be honest with you. David, of all people, knows that sheep, they're really not the cleverest of animals. A few years ago, I remember someone in our congregation actually sent me a video of this somewhere, a farming community, and there was a, a little trench that someone had dug for piping that was going in, and there was a sheep that was headfirst just stuck in this hole, right? And some people from the community come, and they you know, worked real hard, and they pulled, and it was, it was a whole ordeal to get this sheep out of this, this trench. They pull him out, sheep gets really excited, jumps, 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 right back into the hole. <laughs> and it's a, good, it's a good analogy for us, right? And I mean, they're, they're really not. They're not the smartest animals. This is a, it's a common, people that care for sheep know this. Um, they're in constant need of guidance, constant need of care and protection. They're actually, sheep are actually some of the few animals that are literally defenseless. They have no mechanism that part of fight or flight with most animals. Sheep don't have fight or flight. They only have flight. <laughs> it's true. They, they, when, some, when they're attacked, all they know how to do is run. That's it. And so it's really, like I said, it's, it's, not, the, it's not the best um, position to be in, and it's not the most flattering example, but it, but it really rings true, right? I mean, with these sheep, if a sheep wants to survive, what does it have to do? Stay close to the shepherd. That's all it, that's all it can do. It's not the most flattering analogy, but it does work. And what about this shepherd? He provides everything for his sheep. He leads them to green pastures, steel waters, restores their souls. And why? Why does he do that? Verse 3 says that he does it for his namesake. And I'll be honest with you, this morning, as, I, as this past couple weeks as I was studying that, that's, that, that was so comforting to me. You see, the shepherd, he doesn't care for his sheep because the sheep are wonderful animals. No, actually, it's most of the time the opposite. They're forgetful. They're aimless. They're dirty. They fall into the same traps again and again. No, a shepherd, he doesn't care for his sheep because of anything the sheep have done. He cares for his sheep simply because they are his. He has given them his name. He has called them his own. And David, David of all people, would know this. In the opening psalm, in the opening lines of this psalm, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
I don't want us to miss this. David wanted. David had desires. David had ungodly desires. David, we most notoriously, we know that his desires led him to become an adulterer, a murderer. It caused him the death of his son. And just like David, you and I have desires. Some of them are not godly desires. We do not live out this psalm perfectly. But thanks be to God, it is not up to us to live this out perfectly. It is not up to us, it's not up to the sheep to make sure that the shepherd cares for them. No, the sheep are cared for because they are his. And don't get me wrong, this is not some just license to do whatever you want and to have a sinful life, but it is a license to take your eyes off of yourself and to put your eyes on the great and perfect shepherd. It's a license to sit at his feet and to be led by him to still waters. It's a license to take comfort in the fact that even in the toughest situations and the hardest temptations, the deepest despairs, and even when we blow it miserably and we fail to live up to the man or woman that the Lord has called us to be, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd is there. And the psalm, it does something very interesting here in, in verse 4. It transitions from talking about the Lord to talking to the Lord. It goes from the you pronoun to, to using... Sorry, it goes from the he pronoun to you. And this is true in our own lives, right? When life is good, don't we often talk about the Lord? How good the Lord is. Oh, the Lord is good, right? We love to come to church and the Lord is, is good and our life is going well. But, but what happens when, when strife comes, right? What happens when we are in that valley of the shadow of death? We, we stop talking about God and we start talking to God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. See, it gets personal. I know in my own experience that the most personal times with the Lord that I've had are in those valleys. When I'm crying out to him in the valley, and I imagine it's the same with with many of you. And doesn't, isn't there an enemy that wants to take that away from us? That wants us not to be comforted in that valley? And what's the first thing we do? I know what I do often when I'm in that valley. Whenever I've either gotten myself into that valley, whenever I've, uh, oftentimes if I've sinned or I've, I've blown it with my wife or children, when I've when I've sinned in a way that's hurt someone, right? Or I've been sinned against and I find myself in this place of just despair. I want to withdraw. I want to be left alone. Keep my distance from others and especially from God. 
And when I do that, often I'll hear that voice, right? The one that, the one that actually I shouldn't listen to. But in the moment, it's really, it's hard. It's hard not to hear that voice that says, you know, you're just this sheep that's going to do it again. You're going to be in this valley again. You're going to fall right back into this hole. So what's the point? Why bother calling out to this shepherd? But this is the amazing thing about our shepherd. He doesn't stop at just pulling us out of the pit of despair. He doesn't stop. The psalm says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You see, even when we hear that voice, when we find it almost impossible to believe that there is a shepherd that cares for us and protects us, when the voice of the enemy seems to be the only one we can hear, the psalm reminds us that the shepherd is there, and in the midst of that, he has prepared a table for us. See, despite the enemy's best efforts to distract us with lies, there is a table that has been set before us. It has been prepared by the good and perfect shepherd. It has been prepared by the shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep, who has taken on the wrath of God for his sheep, who has cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for his sheep? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, there's a, there's a promise here. There's a promise here to God's people that, that no matter what's going on in your life, the shepherd will be there. And not only in this life. You see, the shepherd has prepared a house for us. And we will dwell in that house forever. That is the promise that we see here in Psalm 23. This shepherd who has laid down his life for us and who now reigns, as we know, as the king of glory. He has prepared a home for us. And that is that is the sliver of hope. That is what we are looking towards today. That is what we rejoice about for the morning that is to come. And if you're here today and you don't know what it's like to rest at the shepherd's feet or to be led by him, or if this just sounds odd to you, if you don't know what it's like to cry out to the Lord in the valley of darkness and, and feel his protection. I want to invite you to take a moment and consider the table that is actually set before you by our good shepherd. Consider this table. And, and even now, if you can hear that enemy's voice saying it's not for you, I invite you to come into the shepherd's fold and know that it is. The table has been prepared for you. It's been prepared for me. And the Lord is good. And I invite you to consider that this morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.